Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. call to confession this morning is from 1 Kings verse 18, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 40. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. One of my favorite stories in scripture is this account of the face-off between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It is, it is one of the clearest examples in Scripture of the foolishness and emptiness of idolatry compared to the very real presence and power of God. The entire story from start to finish is astonishing. Elijah's bold challenge, the behavior of the Baal prophets, jumping, yelling, and cutting themselves, Elijah's mocking and taunting of the prophets, and best of all, God's response, consuming with fire not just the bull, but the entire altar. But it's the end of the story that is most surprising. When Elijah had received the answer to his prayer, and fire had consumed the sacrifice in the presence of all the people, he immediately calls upon the Israelites to seize the prophets of Baal, takes them all down to the brook Kishon, and there slays every one of them, 450 men. The lies and the wickedness of the Baal priests had been exposed, and Elijah and the Israelites took immediate action. They rid themselves of the filth. This is how it must be with our sins. Every one of them, like the Baal prophets, must die. Not one should be preserved. Not one should be tolerated or coddled, even for a moment. With stern, unflinching purpose, we must condemn our sin to death. Every time it rears its ugly head, we must strike at it. Strike no matter how dear it is to us. Strike because God struck at sin when it was laid upon his own son. And because he struck with such a powerful and victorious blow, we have been given power to do the same. The power to overcome sin is given to us in the covenant of grace. Jesus has promised to be with us even to the end. Therefore, our crusade against inward lust is not undertaken in vain. He is the light that shines in our darkness, and it is in his presence that we triumph over darkness. There is no place so well adapted for the discovery of sin and the recovery from its power and guilt as the immediate presence of God. So let us fly to him then. He is a consuming fire, but he will not consume our spirit, but rather our sins. Let the goodness of God excite us to a sacred jealousy and to a holy revenge against those iniquities which are hateful in his sight. Go forth to battle in his strength and let not one of them escape. God's word reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Please kneel with me if you're willing and able to confess our sins. Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, my message today will be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 10 and going all the way through 15. I invite you to turn there with me. 
Just to give a little back, bit of background for who I am, a lot of you in here actually already know me, which is really great. Um, you can uh, inform me of every, all the memories that you have of me when I was a little hellion later. But um, for now, I, I want to talk just a little bit um, about my call in ministry and some of the passions that God has laid in my heart. Um, obviously, as, as Joe talked about, I, I'm a musician. I absolutely love music, and I always thought that's what I would be doing. I started playing piano when I was really young. And as I, as I grew up, I learned other instruments. I played violin, um, played guitar, played bass, played drums, uh, I sang, um, all these kinds of things. And I always felt like that was where God was, was leading me in my life. And so I went on to Schoolcraft College and got a, a sound recording degree and was accepted to the University of Michigan and was, and was getting ready to go there. And then I went on a mission trip. Now, if, if you want your entire life plan to change, just go on a mission trip. That's what I generally tell most people because I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are in the ministry that when they go out and they see the global church or see a church that's different than them, just about how everything just suddenly changes and, and you get a much clearer call. And on that trip, um, my mission team, we were putting roofs on houses and each team had to have different jobs that were taking place. And one of the things that was, was given in our team was a devotion leader and that was a job that nobody else took. And that was the only reason why I took it, was because I had signed up late, because I'm procrastinating. And, and so I was, okay, I'll, I'll do this, it's fine. And as I started that week, I began realizing really quickly that God had placed in my heart an absolute love for his word. And so I came back to, um, came back to Michigan after that trip. I knew that my calling was no longer in music and in sound recording. And I uh, called the University of Michigan. Well, no, I wasn't coming. They, they loved that. They loved getting those calls. And um, after that, I just started looking around for a college. And for some reason, I still don't know. Um, for some reason, God led me to a small Bible college in Alaska. And um, if that surprised you that there's a Bible college in Alaska, it was surprising to me too. And when I say small, I mean that there was 44 people at this college total. Um, my graduating class was two, and I wasn't the valedictorian either. Um, but through that, God equipped me and led me and, um, and provided for me along the way in order for me to be able to, to get firmly established in the Word. And while we were up there, um, my wife and I, we, we moved up there. I married her halfway through my school there. And we each got remedial jobs to help pay all the different bills that accumulate from school and life all of that. And I ended up as a front desk hotel clerk, um, working the 3 to 11 shift, um, which is when everybody comes and checks in, and then nobody comes at all. And so I had a lot of time to myself, and through that, that, that time, um, I got to do a lot of thinking, and got to, I got to do my schoolwork, got to read my Bible, um, but there's only so much that you can do in a little tiny hotel in Alaska where nobody's coming in the middle of winter. And um, I got done with my training, and the first night that I was at this hotel by myself, I'm at the front desk, and I've, I've done all my homework. For, like it was Friday night, got all my homework done for the next week, and I've done, done my devotion. I was just sitting there, and I was just bored out of my mind. One of the hotel patrons comes to me and says, uh, real casually, do you realize that the building is on fire? <laughs> These sort of things kind of stick with you. Um, the way the hotel was set up was there was, a, there was a main building that was built later, but when they were building the pipeline through Alaska, they set up all these temporary 
like housing along the way. These trailers, all right, and they're basically just a big long bunkhouse where there's there's two twin beds in all these rooms. We called it the annex, and this building was really old. And sure enough, that night, my first night by myself, the building catches on fire, and I'm panicking. I'm panicking. I, I, I call up my, my, my supervisors. The annex is on fire. I'm pretty sure it's not my fault. But it's, it's burning down here, and so I want to get over here. Call the fire department. Uh, they come. They start putting it out. Um, but the end of that story is that the building, because of its age, um, it was just a total loss. It was just completely burned down. But as we were going throughout the, the next couple of weeks, just sifting through the ashes, we actually did find some stuff. And I'll tell you what we found a little bit later on in the sermon. Today, as, we are, as we're thinking about this passage, and this passage is really all focused on our responsibility as Christians, as to what it is that we are to do in light of God's grace that He's poured out on us and, and Him saving us and calling us to Himself, what is it then that He is calling us to do? And this can be a really difficult question in today's world. It's no secret that we are living in a very interesting time to be a Christian. Um, specifically in America today and the, the current election process, I can't tell you how much I've heard just about how everything just seems to be going crazy. That's I hear from everybody. And here we are left as Christians caught between two kingdoms trying to figure out what it is that we're supposed to do in the kingdom of God and what is it that we're supposed to do in the kingdom of man. And it can be really easy to be caught up in looking at the world and everything that's just going crazy in it and become discouraged. And I know that that I've fallen into that temptation myself. But for me, what happens is that I go before the throne of grace. And I go in God's word and and I begin reading the words of Jesus as he spoke to the apostle Peter after he made the good confession. He says, on this confession of faith, Peter... This confession of me as Lord of the universe, as Lord of life, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so today, we as members of a church are being called to build this church. To build this church. As members of it, to continue this faith that has been passed on down to us. There's a British missionary that I love by the name of C.T. Studd. He was a, he was a cricketer and a, and a pioneer in missions. He spent time both in China and in Central Africa, um, planted Central African mission and, and that eventually became W.C. International. And he wrote a poem that not a lot of people know was penned by his hand that is simply known as, "'Twill soon be passed." And there's this one stanza that just repeat, or this one line that repeats itself through every stanza that just gets impressed upon my head the more and more I think about it. It says, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And so today, what I want us to encourage us with is that those things that are done for Christ will last, and those are the only things that will last. We're going to see this in our passage this morning through three things. First off, is that what is done for Christ is built on Christ. Then we're going to see that what is done for Christ is going to hold up under testing. And then what is done for Christ will result in reward. This passage that we're looking at today, beginning in verse 10, I'm going to read it all the way through 15, is an appeal of Paul for his apostleship. That the Corinthian church at this point is opposing him because of the, these other super apostles that were around. And he's here as first contending for his apostleship. And so 
Um, he's trying to break down these divisions. So let's, let's read this passage together. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as one escaping fire. So the first thing that we must see in understanding our responsibility in building this church through the grace of God is that we need to understand that what is done for Christ is going to be built on Christ. If you look again closer at these first two, these first two verses here, 10 and 11, that Paul is appealing to the grace of God that's given him. He's, he's showing that this is not a work of his own power and his own strength. But this is according to the grace that God has given him, the equipping. Think the Holy Spirit's anointing on the life of every single believer. But it says that each man must be careful how he is building on this. This is not a passage that's given to church leaders. This is not a passage given to elders and deacons and pastors. This is is Paul appealing to every single believer. That every single one of us called by the name of Christ is building something. And we are building something that is going to eventually one day be tested. But this is the kicker. Verse 11, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Those things that will last cannot be built on anything else. But we definitely try to. And that's the key for every Christian is examining our hearts and understanding what it is that we're really building on. What is the foundation for every single one of our lives? It can be really easy to give lip service to Christ. Every single, every single Sunday, those that are faithful come and we gather, we sing praises to the Lord, we read His Scripture, we pray prayers. But I can't even tell you how many times that I have gone through reading my prayers and realizing really quickly that my heart wasn't in it. And really quickly realizing that I was doing this for some other reason. For somebody who, like me, who has been given to the teaching of the word, it can be really easy as you receive the praise of the mail. Oh, that was a great teaching. I love that. It was, that was great. really impacted my heart. That suddenly be, there's a temptation that comes about in that. Where suddenly I'm, I'm thinking of my own prestige, my own name. and oh, People love to listen to Eric instead of recognizing that the first part of this. That it's by the grace of God given to each one of us that we build. These different foundations that we lay come by different names. Fame, fortune, success, stability. Stability can be a really big idol. It can be a really big foundation that many of us lay as the foundation for our life. Power, pleasure, prestige. You can fill in the blank as to what it is. But be sure that whatever we lay as the foundation, that's what everything is going to be anchored to. Now... I only, I went to Bible college and like I'm in seminary, so I didn't live in the world and like have a bunch of other different jobs. And so that's all I know. Um, and so when things like construction begin talking about, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, 
The one thing that I do know, because I Googled it, and you can always trust what Google says, is that a foundation is laid before everything else in a building. And everything else is then anchored to that. And if that foundation is not sound, what's going to happen to the building eventually? Eventually that building will not last. That building will crumble. The first house that my wife and I lived in when we came back to Michigan was built in 1920s. And when the inspector inspection came through, and that's the one thing, like those of you that have bought homes, like the foundation, how's the foundation? Is it good? Like, because we really, we, we understand this. And I remember that, again, this house built in the 1920s, I was, I was kind of worried about that. And the inspector came in and looked at it and he said, oh yeah, you're, you'll never have to worry about this house. There's a reason why this house has lasted this long. This foundation is solid. This foundation is going, is going to continue to last. The thing about these other foundations, again, you can name yours, fortune, success, stability, whatever it might be for you. They have the illusion of strength. They have the illusion that they're going to be something that lasts, especially in a world that's going nuts. Stability and success, these things can, can lead us into a false sense of security. But Jesus told a story once. A story of a man, two men. One built his house on sand. The other one built his house on the rock. And those of you that are familiar with the story know that, that one day the floodwaters rose and the house that was built in the sand because it's its foundation was not solid, that it was washed away, and the house that remained on the rock, that that one stood. But see, Jesus only told part of that story. I just want to, I want to fill in just a couple of blanks. So we still begin with two men. One builds his house on the sand, and one builds his house on the rock. And the storms do come, but the storms only hit the house that's built on the rock. And the man that's living there is really confused about this. Okay, that's, that's kind of strange. He goes out, surveys the damage, has to pound some siding back in. He's got to fix a couple of broken windows. And he looks over at the house that's built on the sand. And there his family is, out there in the yard, and they're building sandcastles. And again, the man is, conf- is confused by this, but he knows that he is building his house on the firm foundation of the rock. And so he's like, okay, that's, that's strange, that's weird, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue with this. And he plugs on. And continues to maintain this house and, and live in it. And then the storms come again. And guess what happens? The storms hit just the house that was built on the rock yet again. And again, the man is looking at this and is, is, is puzzled. He, he's going out and at this point, you know, his, his porch was regular. He has to, he's rebuilding his porch. He's putting a new roof on because it was, it was devastated by these storms. And he looks again over at the house built on the sand. And this man is expanding his house. He's got a new addition going in. And even more than that, he's taken out a loan and he's building a beach resort. And this beach resort is beautiful. It has all the trappings of a modern western vacation. The people are coming from all around the world to see this beach resort. To see its beautiful sands and spend time there. And the man who's building his house on the rock is looking over at this and says, You know what? Is, Is it really worth it? Yeah, I know this house is going to last, but is it, that looks way more fun. And so, this man leaves the house that's built on the rock. He, he, lets his, he lets his stand there, and he goes and he joins the man in his beach resort. becomes a partner with him. Well, as you can imagine, what happens is that the storms do come. And this time, the storm waters rise, and they hit everything. And the beach resort is absolutely devastated and destroyed. But the house that was built on the rock, continues to stand. It was too bad that there was nobody home. 
And see, this leads us to our second point, and that's that what is done for Christ is going to hold up under testing. And this is to be an, an encouragement to us. If we read on to these, this, these next levels here. Beginning in verse 12. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, we need to focus in on these elements that, that Paul is writing about. These are, not, these are not placed here by accident, that he has a specific idea behind these words. What is it that he tells us that we can build on the foundation with? He gives us only a couple of building materials. We have the option of gold, silver, and precious stones. All these things that make really bad campfire wood. Like these make really bad fuel for a fire. I don't know about, I don't do this usually because I don't have a lot of gold. You know, I'm, I'm not um, King Midas or Kanye West or anything like that. So I don't have this just to kind of throw, throw away. But I bet you that if you took gold and silver and precious stones and you threw it in a campfire, um, most likely it would be a really boring time. Because you'll try to light it on fire and, and it will not work. Because these are things that do not burn up. Instead, these are elements that are purified by fire. These are things that are beautified by pressure. That are beautified under testing. Well, I, I grew up in Michigan. And so, um, one of the things that we like to do during the summertime is we look out at the trees that we have in our yard. And we would notice that they're just kind of getting overgrown. And we were also bored um, because... You're a teenager in the summertime, and what else do you have to do? And so we get out the chainsaw, and we would cut down all the, the lower branches, trim these trees up, throw it onto a big pile, and then we would light it on fire. Um, I think the requirement was that it had to be at least 10 foot tall before you lit it on fire. That just seems to be a, a Michigan rule for some reason. And the amazing thing about wood, hay, and straw is that when you put a match to it, it's a pretty violent interaction. And very quickly, that, that big pile of, of wood the, from these trees that have been standing tall for years, as their branches are thrown in this pile, they're, they're lit and suddenly they're ablaze. And very quickly, in a matter of hours, they're leveled to ash. And we love fire. I mean, again, we, we probably have a similar experience in the fact that we, in, in Michigan especially, enjoy bonfires. So many times that's what we fellowship around is have people in my house light some things on fire, um, eat some pizza, and have a good time. But we think of fire in a completely different term when a barn catches on fire. And I've had the privilege, or the, I mean, not privilege might not be the best word to think about it, but the opportunity to watch a, burn, a barn burn to the ground. Again, just by a simple cigarette ash. Lighting it up. It's the hay and straw and the, and the, the wood of the barn that just burst into flames. And this is the picture that Paul gives us. Because you see, as we're choosing what it is that we're going to build on this foundation that has been laid, this foundation of Christ, and the church that's built on it, we have a choice of what we are going to choose to build in it. And again, going back to those things, those things that are built on sand, is that most of the time, the gold, silver, and precious stones of the church, they don't look like the gold, silver, and precious stones of the world. We often get caught up in a, in a lot of different rat races in the, in the Christian world will begin defining success by the way that the world defines success. Success is by how many people you have in your church. It's by 
how much you give on a Sunday morning, how big your building is. But the fact of the matter is, is that when things are revealed by fire in the coming days, that a lot of these things that are, are built on man's ambitions, they're going to be shown for what they are. And this is not to say that those the, the churches that have big buildings and they, that have big steeples and a lot of people in it, they, that these are somehow inherently wicked. That's not what Paul's saying at all, and that's not what I'm saying either. But that there's an encouragement here for those that are faithful in a ministry that is difficult. I interact quite a bit with, with missionaries. It's one of my big passions, in case you haven't noticed. And the missionaries that we just interacted with in Wisconsin, they are, they're unique. Um, when Heather and I were in Alaska, we had the privilege of working for the Native Corporation and got to know um, Alaskan Native culture very well. And it's not very different from general American Indian culture. It is a very difficult culture for Christ to come in and penetrate in, humanly speaking. And the leaders of this mission organization um, are a, a group of family. And when mom and dad first came there, they spent 20 years without a, a single scrap of what you might call um, man's measure of success. In fact, they would, they, would, they would regularly go up to people's houses and they would open, people would open the door, see who they were, and shut the door in their face. Continual. 20 years. Can you imagine trying to speak to somebody for 20 years and getting the door slammed in your face over and over and over again? And what his name is Don, and what Don had to... What he had to hold firm to was the fact that he knew that God had called him to that. That he had to understand that even though he didn't see success by the way that we measure it, as he knew that his faithfulness is what mattered in that. Faithfulness. That is what is building the church. That is what every man, every woman, every child is building on the foundation is by our faithfulness to the call. When Jesus said, go out and make disciples, he didn't, he, didn't, he, he told us to go, but he didn't tell us how many disciples were going to be made. He didn't tell us when disciples were going to be made or where disciples were going to be made. Only that they were, and that was the hope, was the faith and trust in Christ, the very foundation that things are built on. See, things that are built for Christ are going to be, require perseverance, and they're not going to see an immediate re- return. And usually lasting and meaningful change is going to be birthed out of pain. This fire, we think about, is, this, isn't, this isn't a light breezing over with a, with a comb. This is judgment. This is serious judgment that's happening here. And that's the image that we're supposed to have as we think about this. Because so quickly we can be pulled to idols, and again we can be pulled to be building something else that is not on Christ, and we forget about the fact that one day everything will be measured by God's measure of success. I th- just, this is just a, a providential thing. This isn't my sermon notes. But, but we, we read out of Hebrews 11. And we thought, think about these, these words of these, these heroes of the faith. Men that were sawn in two. Men that were stoned. Men that were scourged. Men that were left with, with no worldly comfort. But instead had to throw sheepskin on in order for them to be protected. Jeremiah's ministry in particular, as we read from him today as well, he's known as the weeping prophet for a reason. He was told that he's going to have a ministry of misery, for lack of a better term. But he was faithful to it. And he's recorded among the prophets as those who are faithful to God and that have built the kingdom throughout the ages. 
And so we have to remember that what is done for Christ is not only built on Christ, but it's going to hold up under testing. And then my final point is that what is done for Christ is going to result in reward. Let's read again verses 14 and 15. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. If you think back to that first night, I made the connection now. My first night at that hotel by myself, and that fire burning down. Is I, I heard all kinds of stories about that as we were, as we were leaving. I mean, there, there were guys that were jumping through closed windows, just shattering the glass because they were just trying to get out. Um, the servers for the, for the hotel were over there, these big, wonderful, beautiful computers that were just burned up and, and, and wasted. Nice clothing, iPads, phones, all, the, all, all these wonderful, beautiful technological things that we have just didn't hold up underneath the fire. But as we were sifting through the ashes, there was one man, and, I ne- and before this I just said this, I would never have guessed that this was the guy that would have done this. He was a dishwasher at the hotel. And he had invested in silver. And as we were sifting through the ashes, everything was burned up except for bars of gold and, or bars of silver and silver coins that he had invested his money in. Because he had invested in something that would hold up under testing, and in the end, he was able to benefit from it. Again, he lost everything else. But I remember in the, in the, days, in the days following that he got a new truck, he got new clothes. Because he was able to reap the benefits of investing in something that lasted. And this is something that we often shy away from, I think, in the, in the Christian world that we shouldn't. This understanding that faithfulness results in reward. Like is somehow that because there's rewards that's coming, that if we focus on that, that somehow our heart is changed. And it's not real anymore. The sacrifices that we make. But I tell you again, those that I've interacted with, and there's even been moments in my ministry where I... I I've had to focus on the fact that all the pain, all the suffering that was being endured by, by missionaries of all ways, shape, and form, and by, and by ministers of the gospel everywhere, that oftentimes the only thing that you have to hold on to is the fact that this is all worth it. Because for those that have lost brothers and sisters and children in this world, that have lost homes and have lost businesses, that Jesus said, you will receive these more so much more in the future than those things that you have given up now. Because oftentimes those things that we have, that we, that we take comfort in, are the things that we're called to give up in order to build the church of Christ. That oftentimes it's, it's the success, the earthly success, that we're called to lay aside so that Christ may be proclaimed. I can't tell you how many people I've known that have given up promotions because they knew that if they took that promotion, they, they would have no time to spend with their kids. The first ministry. I noticed that there's a lot of kids here today, and that's so encouraging to me. Parents, moms, dads, the first ministry, the first place that you're building the kingdom of God is in your home. That is the first ministry for every parent. You are to impress the things of the gospel upon your children. The first people that you minister to. And in the same way, many people that have given up promotions, have given up opportunities, given up moves because they knew that where they were at, even though it might not climb them on the ladder of success, that God had given them a ministry there in their church and in their community. And these are difficult decisions to make. 
Prayer is hard. Prayer is so hard when you know this, what's at stake. It can be difficult to follow after what it is that God has called us to. But see, these are given as words of comfort. Christ spoke of reward. And Paul is, is following in the steps of Christ to speak of it as well. This is meant to be an encouraging thing to us. That as we are building on this foundation of Christ, these things will last and they will be tested, they will be proven of their value. And then in the end, what will be given is the beautiful words. May we never forget these words that, that Christ will look at us in our face. And those of us that have been faithful to the gospel, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We can talk about whatever other rewards are waiting for us. But if I'm honest, that's, those are the ones that I really want to hear. Those are the words that I want to hear in the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. The fact that my king, that my Lord, my Savior would say that to me, that's the greatest reward that anybody can think of. But reward is always, always comes with warning. We don't want to glance over chapter, or verse 15. It says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And this is something that those that know Christ but are taken captive by the world and its trappings. This is a warning to them and to us. But yet it still ends. As you see, it ends in encouragement. See, Paul thinks better of the Corinthians. If each man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. The final encouragement that I want to have for you is that we're not to build the, the church of Christ because somehow we're earning God's grace in our life. It's not because if we, if we don't do this that, that God will look at us and say, I never knew you on the, in the last day. But we do this because Jesus exemplified this for us. That he is the one who came down. He is the one who gave up all of his privilege and his prestige and his glory to be made humble. And those that are called by his name follow in his footsteps. And this is the, one of the means that we have as an assurance is that those who love Jesus will do his work. And this is why we know that even if we are taken captive, that in the end we will be saved. But yet it would be better for us that we are saved with reward. So as we reach the end of our time today, I just want to just to remind us of the task that's put before us. First of all, what's done for Christ is built on Christ. And this means that we cannot achieve lasting results for the kingdom of Christ or in our own lives if Jesus is not in it. We have to stay plugged into the church. We have to stay plugged into his body and our blessing and into his word that is going to sustain us through life's trials. And the second thing is the reality that there will be trials. But what is done for Christ is going to hold up under testing. It's going to be hold up through those trials. And we have to ask the question, is Christ enough for us? Or are we just depending on something else for our peace in our life? Are we depending upon our candidate making it into office for peace in our life? Are we depending on that next promotion for peace in our life? And lastly, what is done for Christ is going to result in reward. This beautiful truth that one day the faithful will hear the words of their master, well done, good and faithful servant. I'd like to close with the last stanza of C.T. Studd's poem, because it summarizes all of this. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray.
Father God, you are a magnificent, wonderful Lord. A Father who gives good gifts to his children as we come before you and ask for it in prayer. And more than that, you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. And that is the truth that we must hold to today. And so God, I pray for every member here in this church today. That they would set you as the foundation for life. God, may they be active in your word. May they be active in your church. Going out and proclaiming your name among the nations. Even the nations that are right next door. God, we thank you that you have given us the grace. Not the grace that you've given to another, but the grace that you've given to us. And that we are to act and measure with that. May we not squander that gift that you've given to us. And God, we thank you for this promise that you will reward us for our faithfulness. May that be an encouragement to our hearts, that we would persevere, that we would remain faithful in knowing that your promises have not failed and will never fail. And so God, we continue today praying as you have taught us. John 10 we read, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus teaches that all men whom the Father gives to him will in fact come, and will in fact be held securely. He says that no one can come on his own authority or in his own initiative. This meal is an invitation-only meal. At the same time, yet the whole world is invited. John 3, 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Our Lord is the bread of life, but he also gave the invitation of the bread. No one can come on his, in his own name, and anyone in the world but yet anyone in the world can come in the name of Christ, but no one can come with a counterfeit invitation, an invitation that they've made up themselves, that they've drafted with their own criteria to be united to him. The reason we try to counterfeit this invitation when the invitation was really given to the whole world is that we might come and sit at this table by our own means to respect to maintain our own pride, our own self-respect to keep it intact, but this is impossible. This bread and a proud stomach do not go well together. So come with your name, your choices, your reputation, your wisdom, and your pride cast far away. Come, all who have been baptized and are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. Come, eat the bread and the wine together with us. Acknowledging that you are a sinner, you are without hope, except for the sovereign mercy of God. Trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Come, welcome to the table of Christ. This is his body, broken for you. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. 
That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.